Well, Merry Christmas. Can we start saying that now? Yes. Is that all right? We, the, thank you, ladies, that uh, decorated the, the church. This is phenomenal. First time ever at the Crossing Church that we could like just be decorated for, uh, for a month. So this is great. It's fantastic. So thank you guys very much um, for that. And, and sometimes, we, sometimes we do a Christmas series. Sometimes we, I think last year we just did one, you know, Eve Eve service and, and talked about Christmas. And we've kind of bounced back and forth. And, and this year, we are going to uh, lead ourselves up into Christmas. And we talked about it a little bit last week, right, of like this idea of Advent, this expectant longing, this waiting for Christ to come. And so we're going to kind of practice that a little bit as we walk through this. So today, we are literally going to start in Genesis, <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to push ourselves through um, to the birth of Christ. Um, and what we're going to be looking at is the promise, okay? What is it that, that God is doing and has done? Um, and what are we waiting for is really the question. And we've kind of been talking about this a little bit over the last uh, month or so is what's this, what's the wait, right? We talked about in the context of suffering and how difficult it is in life and, and that, that out of this suffering creates in us what? Like a longing, right? A longing to get out of the suffering, a, a longing for a final solution to our suffering. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. This is the promise because God promises that it will end that our suffering will end, and that, that as he has moved throughout history, he has been a promise maker and a promise keeper. And so that's what we're going to run through this morning. But before we start, let me, uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we pray this morning that as we open up scripture, that it would uh, pierce our hearts that you would open our eyes, that you would show us that you are great, that you are sovereign, that you are in control of all things. Your plans are not thwarted and that they have come to pass exactly as you prescribed. And that's who you are. And that's why you're worthy. And so I pray that this morning that you would just impress that upon us. Open our eyes. Help us to see and hear from you this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So what are you waiting for? Think about it for a second. Like really, like right now I want you to just, we're going to just take an awkward couple. Say, I actually thought about like delaying coming up on stage to then kind of create that wait, Right? That wasn't the waiting we're talking about. What are you guys waiting for? I mean, honestly, I, I, think about this for a second. What in your life are you waiting for? Like, uh, okay, all the kids that are in here, you're waiting for Christmas. Got it. Okay. Right? Maybe, maybe some adults, right? You're waiting for December 25th because that's a, that's a great day, and we're all excited for it, right? Um, but what else? What else are you waiting for? Maybe as an adult, you start waiting for things that are much further off, right? Take a lot longer uh, to come about. Maybe, maybe you're waiting for a new job. Maybe you're waiting for a raise or a friendship to be healed. Or you're waiting for a spouse. Or you're waiting to get out of high school <laughs> or college. 
our life is filled with waiting, isn't it? And then, and then you get it, only to what? Start waiting for something else. It, it's like this vacuum. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this week because it's so weird. It really, it has defined my life. And I, I think I can say that for all of us as humanity. I, I think we are always waiting. We are always waiting for something that's coming next. Something that's maybe different or a change. Sometimes it's just the different that we want. But we're waiting. Um, so Melissa and I waited for like three and a half years from when we got engaged to when we got married because we were finishing up college. Um, I'm going to kick that. Sorry. You, you guys asked me if I was going to kick that. I said, no, I won't kick it. Um, it was horrible. It was the dumbest decision we ever made. <laughs> Not the engagement, okay? But, yeah, I'm like, man, let's, let's just... Let's just be done with this. Um, but we had a date, right? It was, it was June 9th of 2001. That was the date. And we, man, we were, we were waiting. And I'm a type A personality, so I had a binder of, like, and an Excel sheet. And, you know, and I haven't stopped building Excel sheets. I love Excel, man. Um, and... It, but we had a date, right? And so there's something that's a little bit easier about waiting for something when you have a date, right? December 25th, that's a date. Like, we, can, we have a, probably most of us have countdowns. Um, my daughters wrote it on a mirror in our, in our kitchen or in our, living, our dining room, and my wife subsequently erased it, just sat in them, I think. I don't know why you erased it, but hers was canceled. Um, but what about when you don't know the date? That's harder waiting, isn't it? Because that's like a, that, that shifts from like waiting into longing. Like I want this, but I don't know when it's gonna happen, right? That's, that's more of like the adult waiting, right? It's this thing that's in the future that you're like, I, I, can, I can see it, I can, I can taste it, like I know it's out there and I know there's something, but I'm, but I'm just waiting. I, uh, I, I used this example with my wife this morning only to be very saddened by her lack of remembrance of this. But um, I, was, I was deployed to Romania for like three months. And on the way back, I, I, we're, I'm, I, we're flying jets back. And so it's on our, of our own accord and, and they're um, not the most reliable. Um, and so we, we fly from Romania to England and then we're going to uh, stay the night in England and then we're going to fly from England back here. Well, we get to England, and then one of the jets breaks, like, on the way to England. And so that was on Friday in, like, 2017. And so, you know, I call up Melissa. I'm like, hey, I'm, I was going to come home on Saturday, right? The kids were excited. I, I'm like, remember this, Melissa? And she's like, I don't remember this. She was excited. We looked it up on our text train. She, and I quote, I have heart palpitations. So, so don't tell me you weren't waiting. Um, I'm glad I took a screenshot of that text. <laughs> so, so we're trying to, um, so we're trying to fix the jet and we're like, and all of us, there's four of us and we're like, we really want to all get home and it was going to be a cool thing. It was going to be on a Saturday and then Saturday came and went. Maybe my daughter remembers, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Saturday came and went and jet still wasn't broken sun, or still wasn't fixed. Sunday came and went, the jet still wasn't fixed. So my family, 
take this for a grain of salt. Obviously, this wasn't very impactful in their lives. But um, at the time, they were waiting, and they were hoping that I was coming home. I had been gone for like three months. I was hoping I was coming home at least. <laughs> Sorry, that's... Uh, <laughs> all right, play the violin. Yeah, no, so. Um, but we didn't know when, because we weren't in control. I could not tell my kids, I promise you I will be home on Saturday. I... <laughs> I learned that lesson early in the, my military career. I'm not promising you anything because I have no idea what's going to happen. And, and, and as adults, right, we start to realize this for our kids. Now, okay, Christmas is not going to be canceled, okay, just for clarity, right? Christmas is going to happen. But, but we kind of get to the point where we start to realize that, that things aren't inside of our control. And so I can't really promise things that I don't know are going to happen. Like, I knew that there was nothing that was going to keep June 9th of 2001 from happening. I mean, well, I mean, there's some things, right, that could happen. But, but my decision wasn't going to change, and Moses' decision wasn't going to change. But this, I couldn't. So there, there's different waiting. And so what we're going to see is that waiting for the Messiah the first time, and now waiting for the Messiah the second time, is that latter one. We don't know really when. They didn't know when before the birth of Christ. But they were waiting. And they were longing. And they were hoping for this Messiah to be revealed. And that's where we're at now. right? We're, we're waiting for Christ to return. We don't know the date, despite what anybody says. <laughs> the Bible says we don't know the date or the time. But we know it's going to happen. Why do we know it's going to happen? Because he's promised. He's promised it's going to happen. And, and he is a promise keeper. He can make that promise. And what we're going to see as we go through scripture is that he's made these promises over and over again. And it's happened exactly as he planned it. May not have been on the timeline that everybody was expecting. But it happened. 4,000 years. <laughs> so... It's a long time to wait for the Messiah's birth. But what we're going to see is that's how long it was. But a thousand years are like a day. And a day like a thousand years to our God, right? And so for us, this makes it a little bit difficult, right? So what I want us to think about this morning is that what does waiting do? Think about your waiting. And I asked you at the beginning, what are you waiting for? Um. Because it reveals what we care about, doesn't it? Waiting reveals the desires of our hearts. You're not waiting for something that you don't care about. I'm not waiting for Monday to go to work. I, are you with me? I like my work. I don't mind it. But I'm not waiting for it. Inevitably, it's going to come. And it's going to come quicker than I want it to. Right? So, so the things that we wait for, and I want you guys to get this. The things that we're waiting for are the things that we care about. The things that our hearts desire. And so when we back up here into scripture and we start, we're going to put ourselves in the shoes of those people before Jesus came and we go, what did they desire? What ought we to desire? Because, because as the Messiah came once, so the Messiah is going to come again. So Jesus is going to come back. And, and if we're longing and waiting for that, then that's the desire of our heart. If we're occupied, if my, if my family failed to show up when I came back, 
probably would have sent a good message to me, wouldn't it? <coughs> oh, you're, you're back. I told you I would be back. Yeah, sorry, we got busy. We got busy, right? Isn't this, isn't this the, the tension in our lives? Oh, we're waiting for the Messiah to come back, but we got busy waiting for these other things. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to rewind. We're going to start um, at Jesus' birth, and then we're going to back up. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 23. We're going to start in the genealogy of Jesus. Okay, We're not going to read through the whole thing. I'm going to bounce to a couple of these things, and then we're going to jump back and see kind of where uh, he was coming from um, as he wrote this. And what we're going to see is that the promise that God made that he was going to send a Messiah. It took a long time. It took 4,000 years for this to happen. So read with me Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 23. It says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Okay? So that as was supposed, and there's a lot of debate over these, and if you read Matthew, his, the genealogy is different. Um, and it's because most scholars think that, that one of these lines is through Joseph and one of these lines is through Mary, and that's why they wrote, as is supposed, of Joseph. This is actually Mary's bloodline. Um, and so Heli is um, Mary's father. And so we see that, and then, and then if you go to verse 31, so there's a bunch of people. You guys can read through it, okay? Um, and, and each one of those people, right, lived a certain number of years or whatever, right? And then you get to verse 31, it says, the son of Malaya, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, okay? Now, if you look in Matthews, it's not going to be David to Nathan, it's going to be David to Solomon, okay? So the split between Matthew and Luke's genealogies are the son of David, which son, which line? And what they're showing here is that it doesn't matter. <laughs> Through Solomon, the rightful heir to the throne, Jesus came, and Joseph was a descendant of that bloodline. And on the other side, through Nathan, the descendant came through Mary. And so this is the beautiful part as you go, and you can go, and uh, there's a lot of different ways people see that stuff. But, but either way, both of them point, and they both converge at David, at David, the son of David, right? This is a familiar term. And then if you go down to verse 38, same thing, a bunch of people. <laughs> these are, they're the same between these two. Um, actually, I don't think that's true. I don't think Matthews actually goes past David, but anyway. Um, so then in Luke, it keeps going, and then it says in verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So we have a genealogy in Luke that starts at Adam, well, it starts at Jesus, and it builds its way back up to Adam. By the way, Matthew's genealogy I believe it actually starts at David. I'm sorry, I didn't look at that. I probably shouldn't have. But it starts at David and goes down to Jesus. So there's a different kind of way that they're, they're both trying to capture a different picture of this. But either way, what we're talking about here in Luke is he's pointing to like Adam, to David, to Mary, to Jesus. That's a long time. That's a really, really long time. And, and you can count in scripture and you can see how long each of these people lived. So we're going to go back 
to that conversation with Adam, Genesis 3, 15. And what we're going to see is that this is where the promise first started. So this is after the fall. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. Everything's great. I'm not going to go through the whole fall sequence. You can read through that. And then there's, there's, the, there's the results of the fall. Some of it is a little discipline. Some of it's punishment. Some of it is God saying, like, this is the bed that you just made for yourself. There's a combination of all of that in here. And in verse 15, we read, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is to Satan. This is the punishment to Satan. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. We're going to stop there for a second. That word offspring is kind of both plural and singular, right? We know that to be true. I have offspring. I have uh, offspring, right? Like we have, uh, so, so just realize that it's kind of ambiguous what they're talking about. But what he's, what he's pointing to is that there's going to be this enmity, this strife, this tension between Satan, between his offspring or demons, right, and, and us and our humanity. And we know this. We know this to be true, right? We all want to do things that we know we should do, but we, we don't do them, right? Paul talks about this. I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do. That's the tension of our lives. And everybody in here can say, yes, I would agree. And this is what, he's, and this is what God is saying is going to happen. There's going to be this enmity, this hatred, this strife between the two. And then there's this shift. And circle this, this word, uh, he, it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And some translations take the word bruise and say crush. There's this flip. This isn't just a general tension. There's gonna be hatred. There's gonna be this, this conflict and it's gonna be resolved and there's gonna be a, a, a he, a specific he that is going to bruise or crush the head of Satan. It's going to solve this enmity problem. That's going to solve this tension of our lives. This is, it's, this is the first point in Scripture that God shows us a little bit of light, a little bit of hope, a little bit of, I got a plan for this. Don't worry. I've got this. I'm sovereign. This isn't saying, this isn't saying well, I hope you guys figure this out. Adam, Eve, it's on you. Good luck. It's not what he says. He says, Here, here's the reality. Life's going to get hard. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be pain. It's going to be a fallen world. You're going to do things that you don't want to do, and you're not going to be able to do the things that you know you should do. That's going to happen. But he will come, and he will end all of that. And so that he here is important. And it even says, right, but you, right, Satan, you're going to, you're going to bruise his heel. There's going to be an injury. There's going to be some pain that comes with this plan. And we know this pain, right? We, we know what Christ ended up doing, that he suffered. 
right? It wasn't, it wasn't that he just got to come in and just make it easy and, and not go through pain. God could have done that, couldn't he? He didn't have to go through pain. He chose to for a lot of other reasons we're not gonna talk about right now, but, but he chose to. And, and this is the first point where he promises something to us. There's a promise. So the question then, does he keep his promises, <laughs> right? Now, if you were a Jew at the time, you knew this story. And you went, he's gonna do something. We don't know when, but we think he's going to do something. There's gonna be a he, but we don't know who he is. 2,000 years go by. Just a hop, skip, and a jump away from this conversation, right? 2,000 years go by, and we have the, the flood happens, right? What does God do in that? The whole world, like every thought was evil of everybody. We don't even, we can't fathom how bad it was before the flood. But what we do know is that he chose to preserve eight people. He made a promise. He made a promise that there would be a solution. Not that he would lose or that maybe he's going to win or maybe he's going to defeat saying, no, he's going to. It's inevitable. He promised it. And so he goes, I'm going to preserve all humanity. What, did, what do we deserve for the fall? What do we deserve? What, what do we deserve as people? I mean, we live lives of rebellion, don't we? I don't care who you are in this room. That includes me. It includes all of us. We live lives of rebellion. Every day we rebel against God. We want something more than we want God. And yet, he loves us. And yet, he's made a way. And yet, he comes to us. This is, this is the good news. This is why we celebrate this, because, because he did this. It's not us. We didn't work our way to God. He is making a way. He is preserving us. And so that's exactly what he does. So here's the flood. They go through the flood, right? Noah's 950 years old when he dies. Guess, well, you don't need to guess. Abraham was 58 years old when, he, when Noah died. It, it's always fun to like connect these things, right? So here's Abraham. Abraham's father certainly knew of Noah, right? And so this, while the time spans are great, people also lived a long time. 950 years is a long one. And so what, what do we end up seeing? Go, go forward to Genesis chapter 22. We see that, that God now starts to make this promise to Abraham. He's developing this promise, Right? He started this back at the garden, and he's moving this forward. He's preserved us in the midst of our rebellion. And then Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, he says to Abraham, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Some of your translations may say their enemies. 
And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Okay, so here's what I want you guys to get out of this. There's debate as to whether that's his or their. If it's his, then we go, oh, that's Jesus. This is great. But if it's their, then it's plural offspring, right? And it's like this, this other thing, right? So, so don't, don't focus on that part because honestly, it's a little bit ambiguous. What matters is all the nations on the earth will be blessed through your offspring. This is God. He starts to narrow this down. So we know that there's a he that's going to come. And we know that God is intent on preserving us until he comes. And now he says, all the nations on the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham's offspring. I think we read that and we're like, yeah, okay, sounds good. But that means, and when it says nations, it's not like talking about borders and stuff like that, right? It's like peoples, right? It's like all peoples, like everybody. Every, all types of people will be blessed, will feel a blessing from God through Abraham's offspring. So this, this isn't necessarily, okay? We're not talking about the Israelites. For a time, that's who it was. But what do we read in the Gospels? We are, we are all children of Abraham now by faith, right? Which means we are the ones that are going out. We collectively, the church as a whole, are going out and are blessing these other nations by preaching the gospel, by showing them who Christ is, by showing them what grace looks like and what love really looks like. And so, so he starts to narrow this scope of like, you know, like there's a promise and this promise is gonna go through Abraham and and in fact, everybody that is out of this descendancy of Abraham is going to be blessing all of humanity. Okay, 14 generations go by. A thousand more years. And you guys are tracking this, right? Like, these time frames are not like, I, I won't, yeah, anyway, okay. There's uh, not a lot of countries have been around for, for a thousand years, okay? We'll just leave it at that, okay? Second Samuel, we start to get some more clarity from God as he now transitions. So the Israel, the Israel has now become a kingdom, right? And, and we're, we're not gonna go through all this history, but David's on the throne, and in 2 Samuel 7, 14, there's another promise to David. It says, I will be to him a father. He's talking about, um, he's talking about this future Messiah, right? He says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house, David's house, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the verse that the Jewish community still looks at and goes, when is the son of David coming? This is, this is the verse. This is the promise. And you can go back and read a lot more in, in 2 Samuel, and it's kind of a cool thing because David's like, 
why am I living in this beautiful palace? Let me build God a house. And um, anyway, so it's a really beautiful exchange between God and David. And what does he end up saying here? He breaks out a couple things, right? So first, he says that he will be a son. It will be from the lineage of David. So now we start to get a little bit more specifics as to who this Messiah is going to be. He's gonna be a son of David. It says that his throne will last forever. Okay, now realize in, in David's time, he's like, this throne, this throne right here. <laughs> the one I'm sitting on is gonna last forever. And to some extent, that's what they, that's what they think. That's what they thought, right? That, that this was a physical throne that's gonna be here on earth. And, and that it had to do with actually some dude who was going to just be there forever, that's kind of what they thought, right? That he was going to conquer the Romans, conquer the lands around them, that, that he was going to do this in their time frame. But look at what it says in um, verse 14. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. There's a relationship that's promised here. This Messiah that they're looking for that they're waiting for is going to be a son. There's going to be this unique relationship between the father and him. Now, realize when I say the father, you guys all go, yeah, God the father. It wasn't a very common expression early on. That's not really how they saw God a lot. They didn't see him as a father figure early on. Because he had, like, the interactions were different, right? And as God continues to reveal his character to us, we've, we've appreciated him and we see him for who he is. He hasn't changed, but our understanding of who he is has grown. And so if you go back in the Old Testament, there's not a lot of circumstances where they're addressing God as father. They see him as like the creator God, sovereign, almighty. A little more fear probably. We tend to take, our fa- take advantage of our fathers, right? <laughs> right? And so there's, there's, a, there's a mix here. But what he's saying here is that, that, that he will be a son. Like there's gonna be this, this intimate relationship. Now it's, it doesn't say there's gonna be the Trinity, right? He, but he's slowly revealing who this Messiah is going to be. Now fast forward to the book of Isaiah. So here, so this is what they've got. This is what they're thinking. They're thinking God made this promise in Genesis to Adam, and now he's, then he promised to Abraham, and then he's promised to David, but nothing's happened. <laughs> it's like this promise, and it's like you kind of wonder, maybe he forgot about us, right? Maybe, maybe we think that now. We start thinking, well, it's been 2,000 years. We kind of expected Jesus to come back by now. And then through Isaiah, what we, the, the, this is around um, 700 BC, and you've got um, the northern kingdom of Israel has turned rebellious, and Isaiah's prophesying about this, their destruction and what's going to end up happening, and and then he, he gives this promise in verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This, this captivity, this rebellion, it's going to be done. That he, that he from Genesis, that he that's the son of David, that he that's going to know God in a different way, that he is, is still being promised. And, and this is where he says, the virgin shall conceive. Like, this is going to be a virgin birth. And not only that, but his name is going to be Emmanuel. Does anybody feel bothered that Jesus' name wasn't Emmanuel? <laughs> Seriously, think about that. Why didn't they name him Emmanuel? I mean, you would think, if I, if, this is the beautiful part about Scripture, Right? If we're going to be critical of this and go, is this real? Is this true? If I were writing the Gospels, if Jesus was a charlatan, he probably should have renamed himself Emmanuel. I'm not joking, right? Like, that would have been way easier because he would have gone, it says Emmanuel. Right? But they didn't. Why? Because... He wasn't a charlatan <laughs> because this is true, because the angels revealed themselves to Joseph and Mary, because, because what they're trying to say here in, is, by Emmanuel is not what his name is actually going to be, but who he's going to represent. It means God with us, that God is going to be legitimately among us. And so God is narrowing this. He's going, okay, you guys with me? This is what's happening. I'm revealing more and more of this plan. Thousands and thousands of years, he's continuing to reveal what his plan is. And then just go, go probably one page over, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And here's some more clarity. And the government shall be upon his shoulder so that means he's going to be the president of the United States. That was way sarcastic. Probably shouldn't have even said it. Not, not this government, right? Okay. You guys with me here, right? Okay. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, what? Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Peace will increase. How does peace increase? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? How does peace actually increase? If you are in a peaceful, serene environment, how do you get more peace? <laughs> but with God, somehow, Peace is going to increase and increase and increase in eternity. There will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so Isaiah's going like, you guys get this picture, right? There are some labels here that you just can't, I mean, th this is pointing to the Trinity like no other. Right? And when Isaiah's writing this, he didn't, he didn't grasp that. He didn't grasp the, in Genesis, we will create, right? Most did not. But as you read this wonderful counselor, what's the Holy Spirit called? Counselor? 
Mighty God, everlasting Father. Everlasting Father? How did he pick up the title of Father? Didn't he tell David that it was going to be a son and that the Father and the Son were going to have a relationship? Yeah. We're not going to jump into the Trinity here, but it's complex. And what he's saying is that this person, this he, is going to be sovereign. He's going to be a rescuer. And this is what we're going to see, by the way, just a little foreshadowing over the next two weeks. We're going to look at some of the characteristics of who this Messiah is. This morning, we're going to stop at his birth. That the birth is going to happen, or that the birth was going to happen, right? And now we look in the rearview mirror and see it. But more than that, what he promises to achieve for us and do for us. And that's what I'm going to be preaching on next week, and then BJ's going to be preaching on that in two weeks from now. So then, okay, now fast forward. Next prophet, Jeremiah, we got like a, a hundred years later now. God's getting a little bit closer in timing. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 3. then I will gather the remnant of my flock. Okay, now in Jeremiah's time, the southern kingdom is getting, getting antsy. It's not looking good. It's getting ready. Let me just back up real quick. It's getting ready to all fall apart. Like this throne of David, this physical throne, they're like, yeah, Jerusalem might not be around for much longer, much less having somebody from the descendancy of Abraham physically being on the throne. And so there's a lot of confusion, as you could imagine, right? As they got kicked out and they went into Babylonian exile, and they're like, what? Did, did God break his promise? Because didn't he say? And this was, this was a challenge, and we're not going to get through all the details, but look at what he says in verse 3. He says, then this future time, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Sound familiar? Genesis, be fruitful and multiply, right? Like this is all, this is all one thought for God, right? It's, and it's beautiful for us as we, as we peel back this onion and see this. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. All right, there's a lot of things in this one. So I'm going to back this one up a little bit. And this is a beautiful picture. Very, very caring picture. I'm going to bring the sheep back together. We talked about this last week, right? This idea of, of all of us being sheep and that, that God is going to come and he's going to gather us. Gather our flock put us together, we're gonna to be fruitful and multiply. And then he says, I will raise up from David. That means, that means it's gonna be laying flat, <laughs> right? The, the, the picture here in this, this branch, some of yours might say a stump or a shoot, uh, depends on the translation that you're reading. That's like, I want, what I want you to picture is like if you've ever cut down a tree, okay? You guys all have these rain trees in your yard that like, um, 
grow in like a year and they're like I don't know, 20 feet tall? Anyway, all right, well, bad example, I guess then. Anyway, but you, you cut these things down and it's like, oh, right over, like here's the stump, right? You cut it down and then over here is like a, and then it grows, right? And then you cut this down and it's like, and it, right? It's inevitable. There's nothing you can, minus Roundup, uh, there's nothing you can do to make this thing go away. And that's what he's picturing. That's the picture he's showing. He's like, Israel has fallen, right? Like, the, the kingdom is gone, but there's a shoot. I'm going to raise it up. And it's going to come from the lineage of David. And then look at what he said. And he says, and he will, he will be known by the name, the Lord is our righteousness. That word Lord right there is in all capitals in your Bibles probably across the board, every single translation. And that's because that's the name of God. That's the same name of God that is used in Exodus when God tells Moses what his name is. And he says, I am that I am. That's the word I am. You might see it written Y-H-W-H in English. We don't need to get into all of that, but, but basically the, the name of God, however we pronounce it, we don't really know how to pronounce it, Yehovah, Yahweh, we don't know, okay? But that's the name. The Jews wouldn't even say the name because they were afraid of mispronouncing it. That's the name of the he. The he from Genesis. It's going to be God. And what does it say? That he is our righteousness. It's not like, like our righteousness, our, who we are, our characteristic. The promise is that we will have his righteousness. He will be our righteousness. We don't have to be right or wrong or whatever, right? Like, like this isn't a works-based thing. He goes, no, no, no. I'm going to not only save you, I'm not just going to rescue you, I'm going to provide you with righteousness. How's that? Thank God he did. That's grace. Because in the midst of all of our rebellious waiting for other things and not for God that we all deal with, he goes, don't worry. If you trust in Christ, you have his righteousness. It's a beautiful thing as he continues to unveil this. All right. Micah is the last one. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. I'll give you a little bit longer to get to this one since this is in the midst of these little minor prophets, right? Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, the Paphrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Ready? Whose coming is from of old, from ancient days. Like he's saying like, like this, this coming, this isn't a new thing. God isn't reacting to the situations now. This is, this is coming from of old. Like this is the same thing. We talked about this in Genesis, right? Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, that flock. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So what do we start with in Genesis? There will be enmity between your offspring and hers. And at the end of this, he will be our peace. He will strike 
crush, bruise Satan's head. Ultimately, he's going to be so much more. And, and what God does is he just continues to reveal to us who this Messiah is going to be. And, and after Malachi, it's 400 years. And it's funny, a lot of times people will point to that the, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They go, God was silent for 400 years. And it's like when you actually go back and look at the Old Testament, you're like, there was a lot longer periods of silence or perceived silence, right? God is patient. Way more patient than us. And so Jesus came, and that's what we're celebrating. And so what we're going to look at is not just, not just that, but, but other prophecies of what Jesus, what this Messiah was going to do. And what I want this to do is create in us a, a longing, a waiting for December 25th, a waiting for Christmas morning, a waiting for Christ's birth. Put, put ourselves in their shoes to go, man, they've been waiting and longing for this exile and, and disasters and horrible things and suffering and chaos. And then Jesus came. He didn't come unexpectedly. God could have done that, right? We, it could have been, he could have not even talked to us. And then just went, all right, let's, let's save him. He didn't. He wanted us to wait. He wanted us to wait. He wants us to wait. He wants us to long. Why? Because it reveals the desires of our hearts. It shows us to ourselves who he is to us. It gives us the right perspective because you wait for things you want. You wait for things you need. And if we don't think we need a rescuer, a savior, if you don't think you need peace in your life, and you don't need a savior. That's just the reality. But if, but if, and I think most of us in here think this, but if we realize just how rebellious we are, just how sinful we are, how desperately we need God to intervene in our lives to rescue us, all the more sweeter when he does. And when his son is born, we celebrate like no other because we've been waiting and longing for it. And that's going to be the same thing when he comes back finally because it's going to be so sweet. And God wants us to experience that. So let's wait together. Can we pray?